how sweet it is, Coos Nation. Welcome to the Upstate Orange Podcast on FingerLakes1.tv and YouTube. I'm Jim Sinecrope, back live inside the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York. For a special Monday evening edition on March 21st, 2016. Last week we celebrated an at-large bid to the big dance. And one week later we're moving on into the Sweet 16. So how far can Syracuse go? We'll talk about it tonight with the professor, Brad Connor holding on the line. The Upstate Orange Podcast is brought to you by Generations Bank with locations in Auburn, Farmington, Geneva Phelps, Seneca Falls, Union Springs, and Waterloo. Be sure to check out their mobile banking app or visit them online at mygenbank.com. So before I welcome Brad into the show, with all the excitement surrounding the incredible first two rounds of the tournament, it just amazes me how Syracuse and Coach Beheim are consistently maligned by certain members of the media and, you know, general college basketball fans. Um, you know, their failures are amplified and the Orange never seem to get full credit for anything that they do. There's always excuses working. Case in point, Jim Beheim loses to Richmond in the 15-2 matchup in 1991, and he wears that loss like an albatross around his neck for two decades. Coach K loses to Lehigh. Tom Izzo loses to Middle Tennessee, and it gets brushed off as just a casualty of the madness. When Michigan State loses to Middle Tennessee, Michigan, Middle Tennessee was underseeded. They're full of NBA players. I mean, and Michigan State almost got screwed having to play a team as good as Middle Tennessee State. You know, and then uh, when Syracuse beats Middle Tennessee State by 25, all of a sudden they're back to being that 15th seed, and Syracuse just got lucky that they didn't have to play Michigan State in the first place. Before Syracuse plays Dayton, everybody was picking the Flyers. They were the A-10 champs, seven-loss team. Then we beat them by 19 points, and uh, they were an easy draw for Syracuse. Underseed, a gift from the NCAA after the penalties that Syracuse had to endure. And, you know, now Jim Beheim has won seven straight first-round games. A lot of people don't realize that because Beheim's got the stigma of this guy who underperforms in the tournament, but seven straight first-round games. Think of all the teams that were ousted in the first round this year, including Tom Izzo, you know, one of the greatest coaches of all time that Jim Beheim, you know, could never hold a candle to Tom Izzo. Also, Beheim now has uh, tied for second all-time in Sweet 16 appearances. So, you know, that's not too shabby. And I don't know how somebody who knows as little about coaching as Jim Beheim could have the second most all-time Sweet 16s. It must just be because he's coached for 30 years. So if we beat Gonzaga on Friday night, it'll be the third Elite Eight appearance for Syracuse in the last five seasons. And one of those years we were ineligible for the tournament so really it would be three of our last four attempts in the tournament would be elite eight that's if we beat Gonzaga so you know Jim Beheim to me is a master the zone defense is one of the greatest weapons any team brings into this tournament and he's crafted this program to perform in the tournament and you know here we are again in the sweet 16 our program's elite and our coach is one of the greatest of all time, so everybody's just going to have to deal with that. And with that, let me welcome in the professor. Hey, Brad. Jim, 
right. Sorry to make you hold Static so long. To be here tonight, as a matter of fact. Sure, this may have been our season finale, um, but how quickly the prospects of this season can change from, you know, almost being delegated to the NIT to now, you know, thinking Final Four maybe. I mean, how can you not think Final Four at this point? Everybody in this at this stage right now is, has that dream, and there's no reason to think otherwise. Everybody's coming off two great wins. There's no reason to think that yeah, any team in this 16-team field right now can't make a run to a Final Four and even win a championship, Syracuse included. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's a, it's a tournament of matchups. It's a tournament where a little luck goes your way. And, yeah, I think Syracuse had a little bit of luck, but – don't get mad at them for it. You know, it's kind of like yin and yang, a little karma coming around for the Cuse maybe this year. Um, you know, to make to potentially make the Final Four is a 10 seed. That would be phenomenal. And you look at Gonzaga, they're an 11 seed. So a 10 or 11 seed is going to the Elite Eight either way. And, um, you know, how much fun did you have this weekend watching these oh, games? All of them. So, so, so great from the... The Friday game against Dayton, that was a game that, you know, that Dayton was a tough seven seed, was an underseeded team, and Syracuse, I, for for a half, it was a good game. Syracuse, you could tell they were probably a bit of a better team, and then the second half, they just, I mean, they took them behind the woodshed. It was great. Sunday, from, from the start, uh, there, a lot of times when Syracuse gets up to a reasonable early first half lead, we see that lead dissipate to the point and they did and they you know the middle tennessee took a lead but it never got to the point where we felt threatened and that's great you know with all the teams in this tournament to be able to just coast through two games and yeah. not have a nail biter not have not worry about possession by possession that's that's fantastic and you know i don't i don't think we have to worry about this team being battle tested by any means two easy games this time of the season i that's the best-case scenario right there. That's what I keep thinking as I'm watching these other teams, you know, struggle to survive on crazy last-second, you know, shots right. and incredible finishes. And, and, yeah, we cruise into it. And it's, I'm not going to say it's because, you know, I think you could have put, let's say, Notre Dame against Dayton in the first round, and they might have had just as much trouble as they had with um, Stephen F. Austin in the second round. Or, you know what I'm saying, All the, you could swap out a couple teams. And, you know, obviously this middle – Tennessee beat Michigan State so I think it's a sign that you know this team and this system you know Bayheim system um, really works against the majority of teams in this tournament it's a good matchup for us um, you know will, will Gonzaga be a good matchup uh, we'll talk about that later will Syracuse have good matchups heading right through to the final four well you know we'll talk about that too but uh, might as well get to the big five topics and the first one goes straight to what I was talking about off the top and you know why why does everybody hate Syracuse what you know what is it about Syracuse that draws all this angst from Doug Gottlieb and company and and as I said general fans around the country will always try to make excuses for why Syracuse has success is it I and I don't I don't really get it I think Syracuse is a very likable program I'm I sure like them I, I, here's, here's the issue, and we're a very media-driven society now, that the media doesn't report news anymore. They, in a lot of ways, make the news. They, they, they make opinion rather than, rather than report on opinion. 
and you've got guys like Dick Vitale, who's never been a Syracuse supporter. Uh, that goes back to the 80s, even. You've got Doug Gottlieb, who's the loudest, most obnoxious voice south of Dick Vitale. You have a guy like Pat Forty at Yahoo Sports, oh, yeah. who has absolutely had an axe to grind against Jim Beheim for a long, long time. So Beheim's made a few enemies in the media, and those are the guys, for whatever reason, that tend to have the loudest voices contrary to Syracuse. And those guys are 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 the ones that are that are formulating opinion nationally. I think. I mean, you know, I don't think somebody in you know Minnesota has any reason to hate Syracuse, hate Jim Beheim. I don't think that they you know would care one way or the other until you've got these national media types that will tell you, ah, Syracuse doesn't deserve it. I mean, you saw Gottlieb after Syracuse got seated, and he he laughed about Syracuse getting in. Yeah. He knew exactly that Syracuse, he, he had the, the, the pool right in front of him. It was all just a farce. But he made a point of trying to belittle Syracuse on national TV. He's got an axe to grind. He didn't get a scholarship from Syracuse, even though both his parents went there. So he had he, he, he has an obligation to belittle them at every turn. Pat Forty, I don't know. Beheim probably probably pissed him off at some point, and now he's he's come back at him ever since. Um, you know, yeah. Vitale, who knows? He's you know he just is an ACC homer, Carolina Duke, et cetera. But I think Beheim doesn't do himself any favors, and we've talked about that for right. a long time. That he's you know he's 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 gruff. He's kind of a whiner. You know, he's not he's not the slick car salesman like your Patinos and your Calipari's, and the media you know laps that up. And and that's you know we, we love Jim Beheim because he's ours. If he wasn't ours, yeah, we 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 probably wouldn't find him warm and fuzzy and cuddly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Would we hate the team? No, I don't think so. But they don't play a very appealing style. You know, they play a, a grinded out zone. They don't score over seventy points very often, if at all. And, and that, you know, that's a hard thing to for for nationally for for people to rally behind. But I don't I don't care what other people think. I I certainly like Syracuse. I don't see any problem with everybody else hating them. Yeah, well, it, it's an us against the world kind of idea. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's really been a consistent theme throughout, you know, my life as being a Syracuse fan. Um, you know, coming up in the Big East, we were the underdogs to Georgetown. And then, you know, after that Indiana shot in 87, it was like Jim Bayheim can't win the big one. And, you know, it took a while to get there and, and win that big one. You think that would have silenced everybody? But no, that didn't. And now, like you say, in this new era of, uh, you know, 24 7 365 media coverage and personalities like Gottlieb and and 40 which you know it's obvious to you know Pat 40 that Beheim just didn't you know give you the respect you think you deserve as, as some high-level journalist you know you're Pat 40 is a hack you know Doug Gottlieb is a talking head Dick Vitale's a blowhard so you cannot argue with, you know, and it's funny too, the way that, um, they consistently come back to it year after year after year, every now and then you'll get an, uh, you know, an offhand compliment, maybe of some kind, you know, to try to make themselves appear level. Um, you know, and Bayheim, of course, when he's in Syracuse talking to Bayheim, loves them. Um, but he'll talk about the cupcakes and all that crap. He kind of started this all back in the eighties, but you know, at the end of the day, he's in the hall of fame, Pat Forty. You're never going to be in any hall of fame. You know, neither will you, Doug Gottlieb. You'll never be in any Hall of Fame, not a broadcasting Hall of Fame, not a basketball Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, so have fun toiling away without any prospects of being in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They're in the Sweet 16. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. That's and exactly. I don't care if people think it. I had to deal with that today, you know, at work and, and <laughs> coaching my kids tonight, my sixth graders, and I was giving them a hard time. Hey, who's in the Sweet 16? It's not Xavier. It's not Cincinnati. It's Syracuse. They say, who did they play? They didn't play anybody. I said, tell that to Michigan State. Yeah. I tell that to um, – I'm trying to struggle off the top of my head to think of who Cincinnati – who did Cincinnati lose to in that first round close game? St. Saint, Saint Joe's. They lost yeah. the buzzer. Yeah, St. Joe's. They lost the buzzer too. Dayton wins the A-10, right? St. Joe's obviously didn't win the A-10 because Dayton did. And, you know, Cincinnati loses to them and they question that Syracuse didn't play anybody. That's a perfect example. And, of course, if Cincinnati could just have released the ball like one-tenth of a second sooner – from his hands, they would have advanced, which is right. kind of crazy too. Yeah, you know, and, and and dumb luck happens in this tournament, and sure. sometimes Syracuse is the beneficiary of it, and frankly, sometimes they're not. I remember a lot of games that you know one bounce of the ball could have made it made a difference. Nineteen eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. You know, hell, I remember a couple of years ago, Marquette and Scoop, you know, goes over over and back, and then you know that one play probably changed changed the game, and that was a, that was a good solid team. Arkansas Moton senior year. There's yeah. another one. And, um, you know, and even the Vermont game, you know, those half-court shots and stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 35-foot three-pointers at yeah. the end of the shot clock. Yeah, I mean, all those things. You know, what? one play that worked in Syracuse's favor, they didn't allow that three-pointer at the end of the shot clock against Middle Tennessee. Had that shot gone down, who knows? Sure, it changes everything. It really did. I think it did. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of how it goes. Syracuse kind of went on a run, didn't look back after that. And, um, yeah, like you say, it's uh, it's uh, you play who's in front of you. you know, we beat them. We move on. But, you know, and it's, it's and it's an organic thing because the same team that might look great one game looks bad the next. It's it's matchups, but it's also just, you know, you, you get you get on a run. And, one you know, it's, they're, they're, they're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. You're not going to get the same performance night after night. But you got to play who's in front of you, and they've done that. Some years it's, it's worked against them. Some, you know, that's, some years they have to play Michigan State in, in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Other years they get to play East Ten, Middle Tennessee State in St. Louis. You know, I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and, of course, Duke – you know, had a tough road of it, you know, after the first round game, having to play Yale, who all of a sudden Yale, oh boy, what a challenge for Duke. You know, Yale is the champs of the Ivy League against almighty Duke. So, and they're fortunate to hold them off in the end. So, yeah, and, and at the end of the day, like you say, we're in the Sweet 16. So the next question is, what's for working for the Cuse that wasn't working a couple weeks ago? The, the, the zone is, is solid right now. It's, a, it's the best version that we've seen this season, with maybe the exception of the Atlantis tournament. But even then, I think this, I think they're really locked in on defense, and I think guys have really got got a good sense of of, of where they're supposed to be. I don't see Beheim, you know, <laughs> you know I, I, a lot of times I'll watch to see if a guy makes a three, and Beheim, you know, gives somebody a quick hook, or he's stomping his feet on the sideline, and that's my cue that you know somebody really screwed up, and so I'm rewinding it to see what happened and what the shift was, you know, what was wrong with the shift. I don't see that as much now as I did certainly two, three weeks ago. You know, and you think of the Florida State game and, you know, the previous pit games. I saw that more there than than I have in these these two games. That that defense is solid. I mean, it, there's they still give up a couple threes, particularly on Trevor Cooney's side of the court, but um, you know, they're extending on shooters great, I think, right now and cutting down on the on the three point looks and then interior I don't know 
teams are having a difficult time. I think uh, I, I think everybody's got a good, solid role on this team, and they've really honed in on what they can do well. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good analysis. Um, you know, obviously, Benajay, especially the last game, just you know continues to improve on his draft stock. I mean, anybody watching that Middle Tennessee game had the any NBA scout had to kind of be salivating. You know, he looked like an NBA stud, and honestly. <clears throat> he's one of the best players in the country. I think if you're starting, a, you know, a team and you're looking for a, a shooting guard, it's hard to pick somebody over him. You know, at this point, the way he's playing, and really the way he's played all year, to be honest with you. And then you got Tyler Lydon all of a sudden stepping up and playing the kind of the way he did off the bat and a little more consistent. Roberson battling for rebounds, which, you know, these two teams were the type of teams where Roberson does kind of get those gaudy rebound numbers against. We'll see how he does on Friday against a bigger team. Uh, but you're right, they're all kind of buying in. And even Cooney has toned it back just a little bit. Yep. You know, which is nice. He almost yeah. he almost ended a nice run for us, you know, against Middle Tennessee State in the first. Actually, he, he did end a nice run for us with a poor shot selection. And then they come back and score on the other end. But, um, yeah, and Frank Howard emerging just quite enough. I think he played great the last two games. Uh, made a jump shot. I had to take a double take. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I thought it was Benajay at first, honestly, because I right. d- didn't expect him to do it. But uh, the announcers thought it was Roberson because it was sort of yeah, a, yeah. I guess he does look a little. Roberson, Roberson tends to hit. I mean, Benajay was perfect from two point range yesterday, seven for seven. Yeah, you're not your point guard, right? Yeah, not bad. No. So it, it's kind of it's kind of just like everything that we thought this team could put together they're starting to put together so can they avoid an off shooting night against the Gonzaga um let's hope they don't have to um but yeah it's uh and Malachi Richardson we didn't even mention him you know just uh, oh, he's great against Dayton yeah and and so you know maybe one game it's Richardson another game it's Benny Jay and hopefully Cooney can have a big game one of these games here and before you know it, we're heading to the Final Four, maybe. So that's what we've been saying with this team. They've they've got a lot of a lot of offensive weapons. They I mean they just play at a slower pace, but yeah. a lot of those guys can take over a game. Benajay Richardson, you know Cooney has been known to. You know I don't think we necessarily count on it. One out of every ten games is he's he's a matchup problem. I mean neither Dayton nor Middle Tennessee had any answer for him. Now they weren't using him quite quite the degree. I mean, so 14 points is is you know it's that's solid, and you know he probably given the number of touches. I mean, 14 to 14, he probably could have maxed out at about 20. Made some more free throws against Middle Tennessee, knocked down a few threes, more threes against against Dayton. He doesn't touch it nearly enough to go you know for 25 or 30, but he he, he can go inside, he can go outside, and you know I I look forward to the matchup against Gonzaga with Kyle Wilcher because they're very similar players. You know, even you know, size-wise and skill-wise, uh, you know, Wilcher's a—he's going to be an NBA guy, and I'd like to think that Lydon will be too. And um, you know, that might be neutralized with some of the advantage we had with Tyler Lydon on the floor in the last couple of games. But um, you know, we may see him rise to that occasion too. Yeah, well, that should be fun. We'll talk about that Gonzaga matchup certainly coming up here. But uh, just. Uh... Everybody, you know, it always seems like the tournament that you're watching right now is the greatest one of all time. But man, this might be the greatest one of all time so far. The first weekend, um, and 
you know, looking back at it all, it's hard to believe it could be topped off on Sunday night with that incredible, you know, northern Iowa collapse. Uh, I've never well, seen that, anything like that. Sick. It, 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 there, let me just make sure I got my facts straight here. There's about 35 seconds left, and Texas A&M was down 11, maybe 12, right? They were down 12 with 44 seconds to play, I believe is what it was. They were down 10 with like 33 or something. And Northern Iowa scored a basket in that time too. So that that means that... They they finally broke the press and and got a dunk out of it. You'd think it would be over. So there's 14 points that Texas A&M needed to score in 45 seconds. And you don't think that Northern Iowa could go back and replay the end of that game knowing full well that Texas A&M would need to score 14 points in, in, in basically one-and-a-half possessions worth of time. And, you know, I, I think they would have done, obviously, things different in retrospect, just throw the ball up every time, throw it way down the other end, and then play half-court defense. Right. You, you right. win. Just you win kill, easy. Kill time that way. You win easy. You, you know, going down to the very last possession. I mean, you give your trapped in the corner with five seconds, just launch it to the ceiling. Yeah. And isn't it funny um, – you know, like Wisconsin, one of our bad losses, right, this year. How Wisconsin was terrible. <laughs> Not a bad loss anymore, is it? Yeah, and you also look at, you know, the the stretch where we lost five of six, a lot of road games, um, and, and obviously in our conference we didn't perform as well as we would have liked, but as much as I hate to say it, actually I don't hate to say it because that's our conference now, but New record, six teams in the Sweet 16 for the ACC. So, obviously, yeah, I, our conference... I, I didn't say... I didn't find myself rooting for the ACC, but I did sort of feel a little bit of pride, and I think it's more the sense that, man, that was a real gauntlet they went through this year, and and they came out into the Sweet 16 just like the rest of them. I think that it, we're starting to appreciate the, how difficult this, this league is. Difficult in a different way than the Big East in terms of the fact that, yeah, there's obviously... A lot of great college basketball programs in the league. And as a team in the Northeast like Syracuse to go through the schedule, there's a lot more travel involved than there was in the Big East, although maybe not quite so much because we were heading pretty far west there for a while going to DePaul and Marquette. Yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, it's, um, it's a different type of gauntlet than the Big East I, was. It's, it's, it's not the physical grind. It's probably more of a mental grind because of the travel and because – you just are, are are playing elite athletes every single night. Yeah, and, and the league was a little bit underrated this year as opposed to the Big Ten. Everybody's really high in the Big Ten this year and the Big 12. You know, all of them. Well, I mean, it's not even close, right? If this was the Big East with six teams in the Sweet 16 five years ago, we'd be going crazy. We'd be so happy. Oh, of course. So, you know, a lot more money, too, for, for the uh, conference members. You know, taking yeah. home out of this thing with six in the Sweet Sixteen, so that can that helps too. And um, like I said, I, you know, I, I I don't find myself necessarily rooting for ACC teams, but if 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 somehow you know we had the Final Four that had three ACC teams or four ACC teams, I think you'd you'd feel good about the fact that Syracuse was a five hundred team in a league that was that well represented. And you'd whether feel, or not Syracuse was one of those four. Yeah, and you feel good. I think that Syracuse was a member of both the conferences to have done that three in the final four and that's a real possibility this year for the acc absolutely which like i say five years ago would have been a nightmare now it's like okay you know and and the thing that we got to come around to as much as we've talked for the past two years about how much you know we hate it is that this is our conference so it's counter 
productive to, you know, root against the ACC getting six teams in the Sweet 16. It's just counterproductive. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we'll ever find ourselves rooting for Duke to run the table. You know, I, but yeah. probably in the same way we wouldn't have necessarily found ourselves rooting for Georgetown to do that either back in the Big East. Yeah, back in the 80s, I did. You don't have to uh, like it. Yeah. It was tough to root for UConn, too, a couple times, um, you know, when they won their second or third title, even though it was under the Big East banner, it was difficult, difficult to root for them. True. But I did. One time, you know, they were playing Duke, so. <laughs> yeah. And keep in mind, too, that Louisville's not even in this tournament, and they're easily one of the top three or four teams in this league. Yeah, yeah, well. Well, which helps Syracuse. If Louisville, if Louisville been in the field, who knows if Syracuse gets in? Yeah, although I can't yeah, help it. Number of ACC teams they wanted to bring in. Again, I think I was in the minority, just not really being too worried about us getting in. I really thought we were. I mean, a little bit of concern, but this was of the three years that we were really on the bubble, or the four years in the history of Bayheim that we were on the bubble. You know, three times we don't make it until so this year we made it. And, uh, and we're still playing basketball, so Gonzaga's next. And I'm looking at this Gonzaga team, Elite Eight last year, preseason number nine in the AP poll, and they dropped off, obviously. But, um, you know, that same type of top 10 talent, I think they're a tough 11 seed to draw, and I think for them, Syracuse is a tough 10 seed to draw. It doesn't feel like a 10-11 game at this point. Uh, you know, it, it really doesn't. It feels like, you know, a, a couple of top 15 programs you know battling for the elite eight and i can't, don't think you can look at gonzaga's 11 seed at this point they also rolled over their opponents to get here seton hall in utah yeah this is a good good team i this is if you remember back in it when, when syracuse was in the bahamas i mean this is what we thought was going to be the finals we thought it would be syracuse That's right. yeah. and and now now we're going to have it in chicago in the sweet 16 and they're a team that's battle tested they've been there before but they they turn they turn guys over too, and so I you know we know a couple of these guys. But the, I mean I I will admit I don't know a whole lot about them. I mean their games are on after I go to bed. But you know we know you know a couple of the guys, and they present some matchup problems for Syracuse. You know Wilcher is a matchup problem for everybody in the same way that Tyler Lydon is, and and Sabonis inside. I mean that's one of the, he's one of the elite big men that I don't think Syracuse has seen too many guys of his caliber. And, uh that I think they'll, you know, they could potentially struggle. I think it, you know, it's a team that shoots a three well, but has an interior presence, and to be able to have that inside out, I think those are the types of teams that give the zone fits, um, and they're going to have a couple days to, to, to prepare for it. Had 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 Syracuse been able to play Gonzaga um, on a on a weekend with a two day rest rather than a week to prepare, sure. I would have, you know, I I think Gonzaga would have uh, had a more difficult time preparing. Would have had a more difficult time being ready to, to to battle that zone. I can guarantee you that they haven't seen a zone like Syracuse's. Yeah, and, and that's our that's our huge advantage right there. Uh, we're obviously at a disadvantage up front. Um, Sabonis is six eleven, averaging a double double. Wilcher, one of the best stretch fours in the country, twenty points per game, forty three percent from three, eighty six percent for free throws. Um, and then Eric McClellan, their point guard, transferred from Vanderbilt uh, after some troubles out there, but he's averaging 16 points per game in the postseason, the West Coast Conference in the NCAA, um, you know, which is up about nine points a game, I think, from his regular season average. Um, 
but Gonzaga ranks 331st in the country in forced turnovers. So I think that bodes well for us. I think we'll, we can turn them over as we tend to do with our zone defense. And we tend to make some silly turnovers. So it's, I think it's nice that we're not playing a team that forces a lot of turnovers. But Gonzaga still finds a way to win basketball games despite not getting turnovers, which means they're strong on the boards, which is going to hurt us. And, um, you know, we got we didn't talk about Coleman yet. He, he, he played pretty well, especially against Middle Eastern, our middle Tennessee State. And we're really going to rely on Leiden and Coleman to not only get whatever rebounds they can, but to stay out of foul trouble. So. Yeah, Coleman's going to have to be physical, uh, and he, he obviously has the skill set to do that. But he needs to hold down the interior of that of that zone. I don't think if Coleman gets in foul trouble, you can rely on you know Leiden to to body up against Sabonis. I think that's going to be a real uh, real challenge for him. So I think uh, Coleman staying on the floor as much as possible, and uh, you know Roberson being able to rebound like he did certainly against Dayton, but even against middle Tennessee. And, you know, as you say, Roberson tends to take advantage of teams that don't really attack the glass very hard. I don't think that's necessarily what we're going to get out of Gonzaga, but, um, you know, I saw, I, I saw pretty active Tyler Roberson both games this weekend. And that was, that was encouraging to see too. Yeah. I find myself kind of with this. I felt pretty confident on the Dayton matchup, pretty confident, obviously on the mid, middle Tennessee state matchup. I find this, I'm like 50-50. I'm trying to find some advantages where it will tip us in our favor, and I think the zone defense might be that advantage. But I don't know if that's going to offset our lack of relative size up front. And it's not necessarily physical size. It's just how big they can play or have played. So, you know, it's almost like a toss of the coin. But at this point, a toss of the coin to get to the Elite Eight? I mean, my God, I would have given half of my paycheck a couple of weeks ago to get to this point. Yeah, I think at this point, I think we'd all agree that, that anything they can do from here on out is is, is gravy. It's, it's a team that when they lost to Florida State at the end of the regular season, there were a lot of questions if we were just getting ready for an NIT game. And after they lost to Pitt... It became even more more pronounced too. They, you know, they stumbled in, stumbled down the stretch, and but that's the weird thing about college basketball. Sometimes you just you just find another gear, and it seems like they have. And I, I would agree, this is a fifty fifty game in my mind. Um, you know, it's a ten seed and eleven seed, both of which are probably playing more like five or six seeds right now. And I don't see a lot of differences between these teams. They're, they play certainly different styles, but I don't see either having an advantage that the other can't counter. Yeah. Yeah, and I would have to – I feel good that we got Coach Bayham on our side in this one. Nothing against Mark Few, who's obviously a great coach as well. But, um, you know, he's still trying to find his first national title. And Bayheim, I'd take Bayheim over Mark Few in terms of managing the game. So Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, Mark Few's going to look over and he's going to see Jim Beheim and he's going to think, well, I coached against him in one NCAA tournament game and we were unsuccessful. And, you know, until the, you can get that breakthrough, there's probably always going to be a little bit of doubt there. And that was with the depleted Syracuse team. We didn't have Onuaku. Right. So. And that was, they, Syracuse won that game handily. And I remember going into that game, we were, we were quite nervous about that. The game was in Buffalo and still it was, you know, you're thinking Gonzaga and they're, you know, the darling of March. And Syracuse came out and won, won big that game. Yeah, so, well, hey, maybe 
A repeat would not be bad. Let me ask you something, Brad. Do we have any Connors Corner trivia this week? Heck yeah, we do. All right, bring it on. We missed it last week, so we, I got, I got, uh, I've been saving up. Shoot. All right. You, uh, you know how many Sweet Sixteens Jim Beheim has uh, has coached as a head coach of Syracuse? I'd say seventeen. Seventeen is correct. Yep. Of those seventeen Sweet Sixteens prior to this season. What is the worst seeded Syracuse team to participate in a Sweet 16? Oh boy, I would worst say. seed they've had. Six or seven, or six, five or six, five or six. Let's say five. Almost. Six. Six, it is six, okay. Six. Do you know what year that was? Oh boy, that's going to be a tough one to pull out of my hand. I would say. What year? What were? What seed were we in two thousand three when we won it all? Three seed. Oh, we were three. Yeah. Oh boy. Maybe one of the Damone Brown years, or you know, the, the in the nineties. Uh, not a bad guess. In ninety eight, Syracuse was a five seed. That year, they lost to Duke in the Sweet Sixteen. Hmm. Yeah, I, I really. I think Damone Brown was on that team. I I couldn't pull a year out of my hat here for this one 2004 oh the year after Syracuse was a six seed with Akeem Warwick and Jerry McNamara correct the year after they won the national championship <clears throat> they beat BYU in the first round McNamara went crazy had 43 points yeah. and they uh, they went to the sweet 16 and I was at the game in uh, Phoenix Syracuse lost to Alabama. Oh, yeah. Geez, that was a shock. That was a shock. That was a shock. Syracuse, Alabama was a was a seven seed, a ten seed. They were they were poorly seeded. Actually, they were an eight seed, eight or nine seed, and they beat the number one seed going into that tournament. Yeah. Right at the beginning, in the second round of that tournament and thought, hey, Syracuse's path is, you know, they were, they were getting ready to play UConn. Huh. It would have been Syracuse UConn, the Elite Eight, to go to the Final Four. Yeah, instead. And, you know, I think, I think they, the Alabama caught Syracuse maybe looking past them a little bit, looking toward that UConn game. And Could be. I remember the Alabama team had good quick guards, and they, it was, they really handled us pretty well. It wasn't much of a game. Mark Godfrey, I think, was a coach, now the NC State coach, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, so, the, so the, before this year, the sixth seed was the worst they've uh, – They've had here's 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 some trivia. I'm not even going to ask the question, but in those 17 Sweet 16s, obviously they won the national championship once, so they they lost 16 times in either the Sweet 16, or beyond. Elite Eight, Final Four. Of those 17 times that they've or 16 times that they've lost, seven of those losses, so almost half, were to Big Ten teams. Wow. Which is crazy. It's just that it, it, it seems random. Illinois, last, Michigan last two State. Times they've been in the Sweet Sixteen. They've lost Michigan, to, to Big Ten teams. Yeah, well, I got Indiana, Michigan, Michigan State, Illinois, um, Minnesota. Do we lose Minnesota? Minnesota in, in nineteen ninety. Yeah, that was another one. Uh, who else am I missing? Not Purdue. Last two years or last two last two appearances. Well, Michigan in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Last two appearances, huh? Jeez, how can I, I'm pulling out Minnesota from the '90s. I can't even think of the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we know it wasn't Penn State. Oh uh, uh, no. 
we know it wasn't Rutgers. <laughs> no. Yeah, help me out here, Brad. What am I? I'm, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. They, uh, the, the, in the um, Elite Eight. Oh, Ohio State, of course, yeah. Yes, yes. Ohio State in 2012. They lost to Michigan, lost to Ohio State, lost to Michigan State in 2000. In that year, the Michigan State won it all, and we practically played them on their home floor. Minnesota in 1990 in the Sweet 16. Illinois in the Elite Eight. That was a great Illinois team, if you remember. Battle and Gill. That, that Syracuse team was good, too. That was a great, great game. Yeah. That was Unfortunately, Indiana's one we remember. And in 1980... Syracuse was a one seed and lost to Iowa in the Sweet 16. Oh, yeah, you know, I read about that in Bayham's book. I yeah. vaguely remember um, those days. I remember Syracuse getting into the NIT after being snubbed by the NCAA and playing and going all the way to the final and losing to Tulane or Tulsa? Tulane? Tulsa. Tulsa. I remember listening to that game on my radio because I wasn't even on TV. Yeah, we were in third grade. Yeah. We were. I was Awful. in third grade that year huh all right i got another one for you so i see a potential matchup in the elite eight i'm not by any means looking past gonzaga but i can see syracuse and uva matching up in the elite eight with a birth of final four at stake how many times has this has syracuse played a conference foe in the ncaa tournament um well marquette twice once we, twice, once we lost with Scoop, the other time we beat him and went to the Final Four. Providence in the Final Four in 87. That's correct. That's three times. Um, mm, never Seton Hall, I don't think. Uh, geez, that, might, that, that might be it, but it can't be. Uh, there must be someone I'm missing. I'm going to say three, but there's got to be something I'm missing. So I believe the answer is three, but it might possibly be four. And at first, I when I had done the research on this, I wrote down five, but then I, but then I fine-tuned it and I realized that's not the case. So in 1980, again, that year that Syracuse lost to Iowa in the Sweet 16, in the, in the round prior, they beat Villanova. Not conference mates at that time. Not conference mates at that time. That was the first year of the Big East, and Villanova was not in the Big East that yep. year. They yep. came in a year later. Okay. So they were going to be conference mates you know, within a couple of months of that game, but at that time they were not conference mates. Now, the year prior to that, 1979, Big East wasn't in existence, but Syracuse beat UConn in the, in the uh, second round of that tournament. Now, my guess is they were probably both part of, like, the ECAC, whatever. Yeah, but that wasn't really a con- – that was just a giant no, conglomerate of schools. Right, it wasn't, yeah. So, so the, 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 the answer correct answer, I believe, is three, because I'm going to throw out the ECAC as being just a, a – conglomeration rather than a conference right and i think you're right to do so so yeah three all right i got one more for you so again if that syracuse uh, uva game comes to pass um syracuse would not only play a team from the same conference but play an acc team in the tournament how many times has this team played another acc team in the tournament how many times has syracuse played an acc team in the tournament correct okay we got Georgia Tech, we lost to Mark Price. I might remember the losses better than the wins, but Georgia Tech. Okay, that was one. Yeah, what year was that? You remember? 1985. 85 is correct. Good call. Okay. Um, oh, we We had to play them at the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. A bunch of crap that was. Yeah, Mark Price. 
against Pearl. Uh, against good, the Pearl. Good team. They had John Sally and Mark Price. That was a that was a real good team. Dennis Scott. Yeah. We we had a great team too. Yeah. Um, Pearl and Addison. Duke twice we've played right in the tournament. One one lost one. Uh. Only one in the Bayheim era. Oh yeah, we like can only count. So we're only counting Bayheim here. Okay, so Duke once. North Carolina twice, both times successful. And both times Correct. to go to the final once. four, right? Only once in the in, – well, would you tell me? Um, well, we beat them obviously in 87 to go to the final four. Right. J.R. Reed and company against D. Derek Coleman. Yeah, that's, that's the only time in the tournament. They've played okay. in preseason tournaments multiple times. Okay, so we got those three – um, NC State. We ever play NC State? We I seem to remember playing NC State in the tournament and beating them. Uh, you're misremembering. Okay, forget about that. Um, Florida State. We ever run up against Florida State? Seems like we may have. Incorrect. No Florida State. Um, Virginia in the early '80s. No. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 1984. Ralph Sampson. Also in the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. They played in the Omni two straight years, surprisingly. Wow. Um, that would Ralph never Samson happen. Was, uh, I don't think he was on that team because I think, I think he was done in 82, I want to say. When he was a, yeah, was you're he right. a senior, when Ewing was a freshman, yeah, because that was a, the epic battle for all ages. Yeah, 84 was the, the Houston-Georgetown final, wasn't it? Yes. So, yeah, Ralph Sampson was gone. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember when Samson was finished. I want to say he was finished in 81, maybe 82. No, 82, because he played against Ewing. Yep. Um, so there was that one against Virginia. Yep. Um, yep, and Virginia won that game, for the record. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, geez, I, that might be it. I'm probably missing one or two, but. There's two There's two others. Okay. So you got four out of six. Okay. Um, and. Maryland, we played Maryland. We did play Maryland. We lost to them, didn't we? Nope. Oh, we beat them. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Any idea what year? No. So uh, the the time that Syracuse played Maryland in the tournament it was a matchup of the previous two national champions. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. 2004. So the mm-hmm. year it was it was sandwiched in between the the, the Jerry McNamara 43 point game and the Sweet 16 lost to Alabama. And it was a second round it. game. What's that? Was that a second round game? The second round game in Denver. Okay. Syracuse beat Maryland by two. Good, 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 good. Okay, and then there's one more. So but it was kind of an obscure game. Clemson. Hard to remember. Clemson. I, I don't remember any details from it. We beat Clemson. No, God, has Clemson even made this tournament ever? <laughs> you might be right. Uh, <laughs> Miami doesn't. Yeah, it's not going to be Miami. Jeez, I've gone through them, almost all of them, haven't I? Oh, Wake Forest. No. No? Okay. Syracuse played Wake in the NIT, I think, once, but never in the NCAAs. Well, get, let me give it to me because I'm just run, naming teams at this point. Another game against UVA. Oh, a second time against Virginia. Okay. Yeah, 1990. So oh, Virginia, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia. Yep. So another practically home game that Syracuse had to had to play. 
as a second seed. They were number two seed and had to play Virginia in Richmond in 1990, and they happened to win by two. Yeah. So. Held up by a loss to Minnesota. Boy, we're certainly a lot of these things. It seems like they were poor draws for Syracuse for a team that the NCAA supposedly loved so much that they laid this tournament right out for us by putting us against Michigan State, who may have been the worst matchup for us in the whole tournament, is a potential second round matchup. So somehow it worked out. All right, good trivia, Brad. We're running short on time. Is that all you got? Uh, yeah, that's all I got for now. I could go more, but that's good for now. Yeah, no, that's great. Sweet sixteen trivia. Maybe next week we can. Do some Final Four trivia. but I would love to produce some Final Four trivia for next week, if possible. So two for the row. Give me your prediction for Gonzaga, your official prediction. I think it's going to be a grinded-out game. I think it's going to be in the 60s. I think Syracuse wins 68-61. to 61. I think Michael Benajay scores 24 points. And Malachi Richardson has 17, and Leiden has 12, and Cooney only misses five three-point shots. <laughs> All right, I'm going to, I'm gonna, I think we're gonna win by a little bit. I know I said it was a coin flip game, but I see us winning a little bit higher scoring, maybe 76 to 64, something like that, about a 12-point victory. Um, and yeah, we're gonna have to make shots if we're if that's going to be the score but i don't it's going to be tough to hold a team like gonzaga below 50 even if we play really good defense they're going to get enough second half shot second chance shots and they're good enough shooting team i guess enough options but yeah so that's my official prediction uh which then brings me to how far can we go without looking past Gonzaga? You know, are we like totally on borrowed time here, or can this team actually continue to win, which would be four more games right now, and win a national title? I'll let you go first. I mean, as I said a while ago, I, earlier in this podcast, I said any of these sixteen teams has the ability to put something together and win this thing. Syracuse is one of those sixteen teams. I, you can't take that away from them. I would like their chances better if they weren't playing Virginia because that is has proven to be a very difficult matchup for Syracuse. They play a similar style. They know how to attack the zone. They can shoot the ball. Um, you know, Parentes is a great three-point shooter over top of the zone. Brogdon knows how to knows how to play against this zone. Yeah. I hate that, but they might not win. They, <laughs> they it might not be Virginia. It might be Iowa State. I, I pray that it's Ohio, it's Iowa State. If 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 Syracuse happens to get past Gonzaga, I I, I will be rooting hard for Iowa State in the first game on uh, on Friday night. I can assure you of that. Who's the pressure more on though? If it's Virginia, Syracuse, you know the team. Hard, as they say, it's hard to beat a team three times, right? Not only that, but you know Syracuse has all the already accomplished a lot of the stuff Virginia could only dream to accomplish. So uh, this particular team is, like I said. You know, running free and easy. If they happen to lose that game, everybody's still like, "Great year, Cuse." And they Virginia fans would be saying, "Man, these guys can't win the big one." Yeah, that's true. There's all the expectations are on Virginia. There's no expectations on this team at all, on this Syracuse team at all, and that's that, that plays right into Coach Beheim's hands. I mean, that's <laughs> what we've seen with some of the successful teams. '96, '96. Yes. We, you know, if if we would have had this podcast in '96, leading into the Sweet 16, Ooh. we'd probably be saying the exact same things. Right. Yeah. And they really had relative, you know, well, the Georgia game was really something. But, you know, even when they got to the Final Four, it was an easy win over Mississippi State. And 
and that was a team with some big guys. That... Yeah, Eric Dampier was a, was one of the best players in the country that year. Yeah, so I think that we can we can go all the way, or it could end here. I mean, every, I think every game, even if it is Virginia, you could almost flip a coin at this point, especially with this team, because can Benajay carry us? Sure, sure, Benajay can carry us. Can Richardson step up and, and carry us when Benajay can't? Sure. Can I think the key is to us potentially winning a national champion. We need Cooney for just one game in this stretch. It might be Gonzaga. If he does it, then good, he's done. It might be, if we're fortunate enough to get by Gonzaga, it might be against Virginia. It might be in the championship game. Who knows? But we need Cooney to have one of those seven three-pointer games that he hasn't had in two months. You know what I mean? I mean, that... that Unfortunately, I do know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean, and that scares me a little bit. Just one. Just one. I'm not asking... You know, I'm tempering my expectations for Cooney, even though I got the... Uh, the number 10 jersey on right here. I see. Is that, is that a Johnny Flynn jersey or is that a Trevor Cooney jersey? That is a Johnny Flynn jersey, but, you know, it's funny, too, because I was wearing it. Um, we were down at Seneca Falls Country Club watching the games Friday night, and then we had so much fun that we went back down there on Sunday night. And uh, five flat screens down there. It, it was a great crowd. Dandy Dave Barnick was there. And, um, nice. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun watching the games down there, but I, as I was lamenting, Cooney for doing something. Somebody pointed out, "Geez, why are you so hard on the guy? You're wearing his jersey." And I'm like, "Hey, dang, you're right. I got Trevor Cooney's jersey on. What's going on?" But yeah, one game, Cooney, seven three pointers. Get us. Cooney alone can provide us a win. So one of those he four. He needs wins. to get space. If he's if he's set and he can make it, if he's too too often he's fading to the side and he just forces it. They've got to be able to get him in space. Yeah, and, which which they can do if they've got Richardson getting to the rim, they've got Lydon spacing the court, and they've got Benajay getting to the rim. They've got a lot more capable weapons now. I think that you know, I think the more that Richardson plays an inside-out game and he doesn't settle for settle for outside shots, the more dangerous it makes Trevor Cooney because he can get space and can get a clean shot off. True, although sometimes when Cooney's too wide open, he misses even worse. Oh. <laughs> guarantees unfortunately and how about that alley-oop pass frank howard made you know the one i'm talking about against middle tennessee i think it was middle tennessee the alley-oop to um Leiden, i think it was um was just such a great pass i just, just get so excited when thinking about the what a great passer frank howard is and yeah and it's an element that this team has missed yeah you know, it, it, I, I was actually pleased. Uh, Cooney, I didn't, I didn't look at look at the the season stats, but he had four assists in that game. He was actually looking to looking to dri- drive and kick a few times. It had to be a I, season I don't high. Think I'd seen much of anything of that this year, which you would hope from a you know a fifth year senior guard. But um, you know, I thought they distributed it pretty well. And if Frank Howard can be that guy, I and mean, he he only gets ten minutes of run, but um, you know, the more he's in there, you know, he's not really looking to shoot, which sort of makes the defense be able to exploit the other four guys but you know he he sees the angles that a lot of guys don't see yeah he's he's a pass first guard and that's a, that's something that this team benefits from and next year we're going to be talking about him as the point guard leading us into the year um and i'm comfortable with that i'm really happy with that especially seeing that with hopefully he can put in some work on the off season with his outside shooting and um and yeah this experience that he's gaining now and all our young guys are gaining right now. It's invaluable. I mean, you weren't going to gain this type of experience in the NIT. 
So that's another added I think benefit. Leiden sort of blossoming here in the last week or two. I mean, it, he, he, he doesn't look awed by the situation at all. You know, he's, he, he can put the ball on the floor. He's not, he's not hesitating. He knows what he wants to do, and he knows what he can do, and he, he just goes ahead and does it, which I didn't see that. Well, we, saw, we saw glimpses of it early in the season, but then he sort of went through a good bit of a freshman lull. Um, but now, I mean, he's, you know, they say fresh, they're, you know, they're not really freshmen anymore. You know, I would argue Frank Howard probably still is a freshman because he hasn't really gotten as much time this season. But, you know, Lydon and, 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 you know, Richardson as well, obviously. Um, you know, Lydon, I'm, I'm as comfortable with him in the game as anybody. And I think he, you know, he's, he's as much of a credible threat as, as really anybody on this team, maybe aside from Benajay. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, um, Real quick here, I'm looking. Yeah, here it is. Um, I gotta find it here. Where did it go? Here it is. Okay. Um, somebody, I was I was watching the game with Kevin Korzneski at the Country Club, and he says, "You know who Tyler Wyden reminds me of is Gabe from The Office." Now, you remember Gabe from The Office? <laughs> I saw I saw something about that today. Yeah, yeah. I, I made an, a me an internet meme, you know, for oh, it, and there I got it up on the screen right now for our. Uh, viewers at home i called it the q scranton connection strikes again so i said yeah he does he looks like gabe that's that's what he looks like so well brad as long, uh, as, long as he doesn't have the uh the the mustache gone that's right gabe never had a mustache or any facial hair i think no well he called it he called his mustache rico <laughs> so here we go you know now a little note quick on next week's show i'm going to myrtle beach I'm gonna wa- I'm gonna be down there by Friday when Syracuse plays, and then hopefully when they play Sunday, I'm gonna be there through Thursday to Thursday. So we're gonna if so, at some point, probably Monday night, we probably are gonna do a show from Myrtle Beach, whether it's live or taped. I don't know. Um, in the event that Syracuse wins, you can count on it. In the event that Syracuse loses one of these next two games. We might hold off on our final episode till we get back. So it's kind of up in the air. But, of course, check out the front page at FingerLakes1.com or FingerLakes1.tv um, for the for the uh, schedule and what we decide to do. So um, other than that, you know. I'll be here in Cincinnati the whole time. Yeah, well, hey, it's a lot to look forward to this weekend at 9.40 p.m. on Friday night, which we're lucky if it starts at 9.40. You're looking at more... Those things all always start late. Um, yeah, I mean, we're. I mean, gonna, don't get me started on the rant of having four games start after nine o'clock on a Sunday night when you got single games going on all day. And you're you an entire podcast about that. Yeah, well, podcast for another day. Right now, it's we're talking uh, Sweet Sixteen action, baby. Bring it on. Love it. So, Brad, uh, enjoy the game, and let's hope that we're sitting here next week talking about uh, talking about the, the final four. It can happen. Nothing will be greater. It can happen. So thanks, everybody, for joining us on another edition of the Upstate Orange Podcast. We'll be doing something next week, as I just mentioned, so stay tuned and keep an eye on the front page at FingerLakes1.com or FingerLakes1.tv or our YouTube channel. Uh, You can subscribe to our feed on iTunes, Stitcher.com, YouTube, or via RSS. We're online at www.FingerLakes1.tv slash UpstateOrange. So, for the professor, Brad Connor, I'm Jim Sinecropi. Keep on rolling, Cuse Nation. And, uh, you know, oh boy, I hope that's not a, that's not a sign of things to come, having the, uh, old 
outro freezing up. But, uh, hey, you know what I'm talking about. One game at a time. Come on, Cuse. Let's go orange. <laughs>